Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team, and still number one in the East, Miami Heat. So the post-All-Star break went about as well as you could have hoped. 3-0 week for Miami, with wins over the former rival Knicks, uh, the San Antonio Spurs, I guess a little 2014 revenge right there, and finish it up with a game where we beat up a, beat up a little bit on the Chicago Bulls, number two seed in the East. But we start off at the New York Knicks at post-All-Star break. This is a game my, uh, last Friday, a game that Miami won 115-100, to 100, and a game Miami would also welcome back Tyler Hero and Caleb Martin. Dwayne Dedman still did continue to sit out, so uh, Yurt got some minutes in his place. But, you know, got our sixth man back, got who, you know, our newly minted, you know, he's got the full contract. He's a full-fledged member of the roster now. No two-way anymore. Caleb Martin. Love to see it. But game Miami won again. 115-100. It puts Miami up 2-0 in a best-of-three series against the Knicks, which is relatively meaningless because the Knicks aren't even in the play-in. But still, for the sake of the 90s rivalry, it's good to just beat up on the Knicks. But let's go through the game, though. So, yeah, this was a game that Miami, they came out the gate. The offense just absolutely sputtered. They got down in a 0-10 to 10 hole before Spo started putting in the bench. And the bench was actually able to do a really good job of getting Miami back into this game. When they were down 10 at that point, about four minutes into the game when they made that first bucket, they were only down two at the end of the first quarter. So made some great progress there. In the second quarter, they went on a 12-0 run, like right at the gate that put the heat up 10. And then R.J. Barrett, who just for some reason was just absolutely unconscious the man could not be stopped. He was the only thing that was keeping the Knicks alive in this game. Quite literally, because about halfway through the second quarter, he scored 17 points straight. He was the only Knicks player to score during that time span as well. But yeah, kept the Knicks alive. He only were up 65-55 at half. They should have been up something more like 65-45 or even 65-40 if not, not for him. But the third quarter, Jimmy Butler came out, dropped 14 points in a third quarter that just kept the Heat up on the Knicks. They were able to make a little bit of a run in the third. The Heat were only up 90-85 to 85 going into the fourth. But the lead never got any closer than that five down. They were they ailed the Knicks to 15 points in the fourth quarter on 25% shooting from the field and held them completely scoreless in the last three minutes for what ended up being a blowout Heat win, though you know there, it was a little little nervous at certain points but you know in terms of closing that game out that was where like the heat once again did the no 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 we're a title contending level team you all are going to the lottery so we're just gonna clamp you down and that was all she wrote so some takeaways for the game here tyler hero like i mentioned he came back and he came back with a vengeance scored a team high 25 points to go with seven rebounds, two assists, and three steals. Did on good efficiency, nine of 18 from the field, four of nine from three. So he had the stroke going there. Three of six from the line, so, you know, not, not quite the best, but he still got there enough. But a team high plus 25 and plus minus because his defense, like, sure, he, he was he's still getting targeted. He's still getting cooked on defense at moments, but... It's fair to say that he has made an improvement. Now, granted, he has been so bad in previous years, partly because he's a rookie, partly because of maybe like physical limitations, but he got his body right, he's gotten older, he's gotten smarter, and he's not 
as bad a defender as he was. And then you couple that with just how awesome he was on offense. And yeah, team high plus 25 makes sense. Alongside Tyler Hewitt, though, Bam Adebayo continues his tear. 16 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal, 4 blocks on not not his most aggressive game from like in terms of field goal attempts. Did it on 5 of 10 field, from the field. Uh, 0 of 1 from 3, although that was kind of a late shot clock 3. Not really in the flow of the offense, more like... All right, shot clock's going down. Somebody has to do something, and that was his attempt. But at least he tried it. Uh, six of eight from the line. But really what stood out here was, like, just the, the four blocks don't really give it enough credit. The, Bam and Abayo was a monster in this game. Uh, one of those blocks was on R.J. Barrett, and I think that was, like, the end that R.J. Barrett scored. Uh, we'll get to that back in a little bit. But, yeah, just Bam Adebayo continued to be a defensive monster. Not his best scoring game, but a good game of where he did consistent work every quarter, like get a few rebounds, get a few points, just to kind of help get me a baseline for Miami. And then, yeah, on the other end, just eviscerating people. Uh, last things, though, Miami crushed the Knicks in the turnover battle. Miami committed eight turnovers to the Knicks' 18. So glad to see that. Like, we saw that, you know, before the All-Star break, turnovers were starting to be a little bit of a problem for the Heat. And at least for here, you know, they were able to to start off the post-All-Star break, you know, with, with taking care of the damn ball for once. Uh, and then lastly was, like I mentioned a little bit, R.J. Barrett, who was went absolutely off. I got to give him his credit for that, but I'm also going to give credit for Miami for shutting that down in the second half. So the first half, like I meant, we already mentioned earlier the 17 points that he scored straight to keep the Knicks alive in the second quarter, but in the first half in total, he scored 30 points, so 13 in the first quarter. Did that, though, on 9 of 13 from the field, 6 of 9 from 3, and 6 of 10 from the line. So just to give you that idea, like this guy was shooting unconsciously. The second half, though, Held him to 16 points on 4-9 from the field, 0-2 from 3. Really only even got to 16 points because he went 8-12 from the line. So his attempts were down. His threes were way down. Like Miami just completely sealed off that three-pointer that he had going in the first half. And then pretty much was like, all right, you're going to get to the line. Cool. You made us pay a little bit of that. Whatever. But that adjustment to like take a player that is still hot – but be able to completely limit what he does to the point that you're able to walk away with a blowout win, just testament to Miami's defense and Eric Spolstrom making adjustments at halftime. After the Knicks on Friday, though, Miami would travel back home to host the San Antonio Spurs in a back-to-back on Saturday. Uh, like I mentioned before, this is a game Miami won, 133-129. to Very high-scoring game. And also a game that Miami would have Dwayne Dedman, the mechanic, back finally. Uh, this puts Miami, this is a season series sweep 2-0 against the Western Conference foe for whatever that means. Uh, I guess, like, if, if you're a little bit salty over 2014, then this feels good. But I, don't know. I, I watched that series and just the Spurs were just out of their mind. There's not much you can do about that. Back to the game, though. This was one where it was, it was a little bit similar to that game against the Knicks where the Heat got into a early hole, mainly because of offensive problems. They were down 5-18. to 18. But Jimmy Butler was able to kind of keep the Heat alive with 13 points in the first quarter alongside when the bench came in as well. The Heat were able to get up to 28 points. However, the defense wasn't quite there yet. The Spurs had scored 40 by the end of the first quarter, so down 12. The second quarter, though, a 7-0 run by the Heat got like right out the gate, got the deficit down to 5 
and then the and then they traded buckets for a little bit before the Heat scored the last nine points of the uh, first half to take a 61-58 lead. So you know they were they took the blows in the first quarter, and then kind of along the way in the second they got back into the lead. The third quarter came out it was a really high scoring third quarter. I think it was like 39 for the Spurs, 38 for the Heat. But yeah, it was a quarter where there were a lot of ties, a lot of lead changes. But eventually Miami walked away up 99 to 97. Uh, 97, yeah. So then in the fourth quarter, this was the kind of the interesting thing. Miami got out to a 20 to 5 run in the fourth quarter that had the Heat up 17. And it seemed like Miami was going to cruise, but the Spurs were able to keep chipping away through the second half of the fourth. And they got as close as two before Gabe Vincent hit two free throws to help seal the 133-129 to win with, like, I think it was, like, nine seconds left at that point. So, you know, you get it to four points, two-possession game. At that point, the Spurs know it's over. But, yeah, it, it got very close in the end. But the big takeaways from this game, yet again, Bam Adebayo, team high, 36 points. I think one of the statistics was, like, Bam has had four 30-point games in his career and two of them were this year. I think I know at least one was last year, so maybe it might have been both last year as well. But Saturday night, 36 points to go along with seven rebounds, four assists, two steals, and three blocks. So this dude's just getting all over both ends of the floor, steals, blocks, like everything. Uh, did that really good, like, again, a really aggressive game for Bam Adebayo. 21 field goal attempts, knocked down 14 so high efficiency, 9 of 12 from the free throw line. So he did miss a few, but, I mean, he got there with so, enough volume. And really the impressive thing here was that he did that 36 points in three quarters because he was scoreless in the first. He came out in the second and dropped. It was like the first quarter was, you know, I, I don't know, it was kind of like timid bam or whatever. But second quarter was like, oh, that's right. There's nobody on the Spurs that can, that can guard me. So 10 points in the second quarter. 10 points in the third quarter, and then 16 in the fourth to help keep the Spurs away and secure the win for Miami. So high-scoring game for Bam Adebayo. You know, this is a, it continues the trend that we have seen since the Celtics game. Now we're through the Knicks and this Spurs game as well. We're just Bam continuing to be aggressive, and it's looking like he's he's reaching another level right before the playoffs, which is, yeah. Um, and then alongside him, kind of like before, Tyler Hero, 27 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists on great efficiency. 11 of 19 from the field, again going 4-9 from 3. Uh, only 1 of 4 from the free throw line, so that was a little off. But again, as well, a team high plus 20 to show, you know, he's somewhat able to hold his own on the defensive end. And then the offensive end, he's he's shooting and scoring at such a great level that it's you know, far outweighing any of the defensive concerns. Other f- good things, takeaways from the Spurs game, uh, Miami again crushed the turnover battle, 11-20. to 20. And then the other interesting part was that Eric Spostra only play- went five deep in the fourth quarter. Kyle Lowry, Gabe Vincent, Tyler Hero, Caleb Martin, and Bam Adebayo were the five-man lineup. And we've seen this before where, like, if a certain lineup keeps doing well, Spo will just kind of let them go. And if it's the fourth quarter and, you know, Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker aren't out there and you can just sit them and let them rest, then you let them rest. It did get a little bit concerning when the Spurs were making their pushback and it was kind of like, okay, is Spo really, really going to let this game 
potentially slip away to see if they can close out. Fortunately, they closed it out, but, you know, it was a little bit concerning for a moment. So interesting they did that. The advantage, though, obviously being you you still got the win, and P.J. Tucker and Jimmy Butler didn't have to play any minutes in the fourth quarter, so they can continue to get rest. This was, again, a second out of a back-to-back against a Spurs team that is, I, I think, at least like top five in pace or something along those lines. But... After the game on Saturday, to finish up the week, Miami hosted the Chicago Bulls on Monday in a game that they won 112-99. to This is also a game Kyle Lowry would leave listed for personal reasons again. It seems to be a similar scenario to what we had previously, right around when Bam came back, where um, there's been no additional information, which... Like I mentioned before, you kind of just have to give the benefit of the doubt. Lowry, from everything we've seen, is professional, so you just hope whatever's going on, that, that he's all right. So in his place, then, Gabe Vincent, as has happened before, started. This, But, yeah, this win against the Bulls puts Miami up 3-0 in a best-of-four series, essentially giving them, you know, the tiebreaker. Like, there was a possibility that they could have tied 2-2, and it would have had to go to other tiebreakers. But being up 3-0 in a best-of-four, you have the tiebreaker over the Bulls, which is fantastic to have considering how close they are in the standings. But through the recap real quick, did not have offensive problems this game, unlike the previous two. So the Heat got out to a 25-11 lead before the, the Bulls started to push back a little bit. Only The Heat were only up 30-21. to In the second quarter, though, Heat got out and pushed it hard again. They got their lead up to 19 points about halfway through the second before the Bulls came back yet again. And it ended up only being the same nine-point difference. The Heat up 55-46 to at halftime. The third quarter, though, just they completely blasted the mess out of the Bulls in the third with a 20-9 to run to get them up 20 points. And then essentially they coasted to being up 91-67 going into the fourth. And then, yeah, in the fourth quarter itself, it never got closer than 15 until it was garbage time, and that's how they got to the final score where the Heat were only up 13. But when the game actually mattered, never got closer than 15. The Poles pulled their starters about six minutes left because it was over. And for Miami's side, they didn't even have to play P.J. Tucker or Jimmy Butler in the fourth at all, so they all got rested as well. Um, Takeaways from the game, yet again, (laughs) Bam Adebayo, 15 points. Seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, two blocks on a small volume night, six of eight from the field, three or four from the line, a team high plus 20, and yet again, an absolute defensive menace. Alongside him, Gabe Vincent this time. Like, Tyler Hero had a good game, but I feel like I really want to shout out Gabe Vincent just because he had to step up into the starting role. 20 points, two rebounds, three assists on seven of 13 from the field, Four of eight from three, so just bombing it away, and two of three from the free throw line. Um, other takeaways, Max Struess, a little bit of a quiet night until the fourth quarter. So Struess finished the game with 13 points, all of which came in the fourth quarter to just help keep this a blowout win. And then lastly, for the defensive end for Miami, they held DeMar DeRozan, actually, they broke DeMar DeRozan's streak. He had a streak of 10 straight games where he scored 30 or more points while taking at least 19 field goal attempts. Most of them were 20. There was one game in that streak that was 19, so that's why I got to say that. So it's not quite the the best number, but it is the accurate number. 
But the point, though, being, though, he was taking a lot of attempts and he was scoring a lot of points. This game, though, Miami held him to 7 of 16 shooting from the field and 18 points. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, we all know the Heat defense is legit. It's just, it is nice when wherever we have the games where it's like, okay, our defense is legit. We should shut this guy down. Cool, we shut him down. And cool, we got we to gotta blow out win over it. But that'll do for the recaps for now. So just moving along, uh, just want to quickly go over any kind of roster watch kind of stuff. So first off, you know, I already mentioned this, Tyler Hero, Dwayne Dedman, Caleb Martin are all back into the rotation. Fantastic. Now we have the, you know, the, the good problem of too much depth. Kyle Lowry is out for now, though, for personal reasons and listed at least out for the Wednesday game against the Bucks. Uh, again, just hope whatever's going on that he is all right and can get back. Uh, whenever, because I think the Heat can still weather the ship without him. Um, Oladipo has been listed as having a heavy workout today with the uh, Skyforce, the G League affiliate for the Miami Heat, but there's still been no official word on his timetable. However, it they, they seem to be at the point where they're going through the last tests before giving out like the official, hey, he'll be back at this game. But Miami has their 11 of 12 at home schedule coming up this month. So, yeah, that's about as friendly as an environment as you can bring a dude back. And alongside Victor Oladipo, Markeith Morris really hasn't been too many updates as well on his potential return. He did travel with the team to New York. So interesting that, you know, he was able to travel, though, you know, obviously didn't play. The other part about that, though, he is not traveling with the team currently. You know, they have a back to uh, road back to back at the Bucks and then at Brooklyn, but he's not traveling for that. However, it could be the same thing. Like, all right, you know what? Chill for another week, and we'll bring back maybe bring back Depot and Markeith. You know, when we have our massive homestand coming up. Other than them, for in terms of roster watch, the other thing that we were potentially looking for was if anything emerged from the buyout market. Today was the deadline for players to finalize buyouts and still be playoff eligible, which you know would be the entire fucking point. And from at least from what I saw, nothing materialized. So I think for the Heat, that means they have to sit there and go, okay, well, we weren't able to solve the backup four problem by the trade deadline. And nobody showed up in the buyout market. So at this point, it's probably going to be Markeith Morris or no backup four. And so, yeah, the, it'll be obviously be the Heat's decision for, for how they do that. I hope that they still give Mar- Morris a chance. Like, on the given the caveat that obviously that he remains healthy, this does not seem like a, a Bosch incident where, like, if you get repeat blood clots and you don't know what causes them, then you have to be precautious because a blood clot can just kill you. This does not seem, based on the research that I did, it does not seem to be that situation with Morris. I hope I'm not wrong. I'm fairly sure I'm not wrong because I, I can, you know, do some, at least some bio-research. But the main point still being that uh, if he is healthy enough to play, I hope he's given the opportunity because I do feel that he could fit that role and it would be, you know, obviously great for the Heat because that helps complete their roster. They need that backup for it. But that'll be all for the roster part. And then really what I wanted to kind of talk to a little bit about with this episode is just evaluating the Miami Heat as they are right now since they are right about the three-quarter mark. So they're 41 and 21 games right now, 62 games total. There's 82 in a season. So they have 20 left. It's about a quarter. Uh, of But the fun part about this, they're 41 and 21, right? This is the first time that they've been 20 games over 500 
since the end of the Big Three era in 2013-14. Just to, to try to exemplify that, like, this is a really good team. How good, you might ask? Well, they're 7th in offensive rating and 6th in defensive rating. They're the only East team that are top 10 in both categories and one of four teams that are top 10 um, if you like in the entire league. The other three actually are not too hard to figure out. They're the three teams that are the only three teams that are ahead of Miami in terms of league-wide standings: the Memphis Grizzlies, the Golden State Warriors, and the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns are third in both. That is just insane how good they've been. But Miami still also good, especially when you consider again the amount of turnover and injuries and players in and out and lineup mismatches that had to happen. They are still the only East team that are top ten in both categories. In terms of net rating, they're fifth in the league because they've the they actually get beat out uh, as the second best team in the East by net rating. The Boston Celtics, which is they're they're it seems like they're maybe a little bit more of like an anomaly because their defense has been so good that that's why their net rating is better than the Heat. However, the Heat have a way better offense as well as more wins. Uh, regardless. Uh, other fun for, facts for the Heat, they're 28th in pace, which actually surprises me. Like t- Traditionally, the last few years, they have been really slow in pace. But the surprising part was is that I thought Kyle Lowry would at least get them closer to like 20th in pace because he does like to get out and push. But this is still also a, a pretty veteran-heavy team, plus Spoh's system pretty much revolves around like once you get into the half court, it's you know, kind of bleeding out the shot clock, go for the good, not go, not for the good shot, but pass it off to her to get the great shot. Oh, that didn't work. Let's do a little motion. Like the, as, as a style, they play really slow. Um, and I guess for, for me, I thought Lowry would have boosted that, but not really. Like they, they still kept that really slow pace. They've just been more efficient, uh, while in it, but because of that slow pace, it kind of throws some, like any sort of counting stats number is going to be a little odd because like if it's a slower pace, there's less opportunities, less opportunities, less counting stats. Pretty simple. And so an example of that is while the Heat are seventh in offensive rating, which is, you know, obviously an efficiency metric, they are 16th in points per game. So they're middle of the pack in terms of how many actual counting points they score per game. They just get there at such a really efficient rate, and because they have that pace really slow, they do a really good job of holding their opponents to less points. They're fifth in opponent points per game, and part of that is also, if we play at a slow pace, that limits your opportunities, and if your opportunities are limited, you just can't score as much. So the Heat are a team that's more like, we're going to slow it down, we're going to get you in the muck, and then we're going to beat you that way. Because, yeah, we all know the defense is legit. Uh, the offense has been extremely efficient. Sixth in true shooting percentage, eighth in effective field goal percentage, third in three-point percentage, and fourth in free throw percentage. So they do a lot of their damage from, in terms of like from efficiency standpoints, from three and from getting to the line, which makes sense. You know, you got Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, that can all, and Kyle Lowry occasionally, that can all get to the line and you know, all shoot at the line at pretty high efficiencies. And then for the three-point shooting, you know, we got Max Strews, Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Like, this team's got shooters. To, to go back to the, the infamous Whiteside quote, we got shooters. 
And those two things, I think, are primarily fueling, you know, the eighth in effective field goal percentage because that accounts for the threes. And then six in true shooting percentage because that, in addition, accounts for the free throw shooting. Uh, other fun things I like about the offense, third in assist percentage. So, like, if you look at their assist per game, it's not as impressive, but that goes back to that pace problem, you know. Like, we are at such a low pace that we just will naturally get less assists per game, so that's why I went with a more efficiency stat like assist percentage. So being third in assist percentage means that for the, you know, the smaller number of field goal attempts this team is getting, they're just that much better at making sure they're setting each other up, which you know, feeds back into what Spo's system is supposed to be. It's supposed to be more egalitarian. <laughs> the problem, and this is probably the, one of the worst things that the Heat is at, is that they're 27th in turnover percentage. So the downside to passing so much is that it's a lot easier for opponents to key in on that and try to maybe play off people a little more and try to play more the passing lanes. And, yeah, that's still something that Miami needs to get in check by the playoffs. But overall, and again, it continues to be impressive considering the amount of you know players in and out. Like it's not even surprising at this point where it's like, yeah, Kyle Lowry's gonna be be out this time, but or before it was like, oh yeah, Tyler Hero's out, we'll be fine. Like just the amount of plug and play in this offense just continues to hum. The defense, like we already know, the defense is is absolutely elite. First in opponent points in the paint, sixth in a, uh, sec- opponent second chance points. 12th in opponent fast break points. They are 24th in opponent points um, off turnovers, so that is a big, which feeds into the turnover problem, right? They have a really bad propensity of turning the ball over in ways where the opponents get easy fast breaks um, or, you know, they just have a good possession afterwards. Point, though, being just that that's an area of opportunity for Miami, kind of alongside defensive rebounding, like, because the pace is so low, they're 21st in defensive rebounds per game, but they are 10th in defensive rebounding percentage, so they're not doing too bad there. I think the big problem uh, has to do with you know just the way they use Bam Adebayo at times, where there's a lot of times where he'll switch out onto the perimeter, and if he's out on the perimeter, it's a lot obviously harder for him to get inside and get a rebound. Uh, but that's just kind of schematic, which is, in the end, you're, you're fine because... This is still the six-race defense where, like, the worst defenders on the team, usually when they throw out, are somebody like a Duncan Robinson or a Tyler Hero. And they throw out so many other plus defenders that, you know, it's fine. But to go back, I guess, to the to the point of the check-in is just this team remains elite on both ends. And that while there are some opportunities to improve, they're already great. So think about what happens when, you know, they have an Oladipo or maybe a Morris back as well, and they have this massive homestand where they can actually get some practice in because they don't have to travel, and just how much better this team could be. Like, you know, if they work on the turnovers problem, that not only solves some of their offensive efficiencies, but also solves some of their defensive efficiencies because just less turnovers means less opponent turnovers per game. But the other thing I wanted to check on at the three-quarter mark which is kind of a check-in on where Miami stands in terms of league-wide awards. So Tyler Hero, I mean, Tyler Hero just continues to be the runaway for sixth man of the year. Like, if you look up betting sites or anything like that, it is so heavily skewed towards Hero, it's, like, almost not even worth it. So at the very least, like, Miami has secured that. Like, Tyler Hero, congratulations, my dude. You're going to be sixth man of the year. 
The other ones um, in the middle ground were like, okay, it's not quite clear. Eric Spolstra getting some serious consideration. He's in a lot of the sites. He's moved up to top four for coach of the year alongside Cleveland's J.B. Bickerstaff, who I, I would argue spoke over Bickerstaff just because I would attribute some of the success that the that Cavs have had to Evan Mobley, whereas you know in Spo's case. There, there hasn't been that that new player that's been brought on and that's like immediately transforms the team. Like, sure, they did bring in Kyle Lowry, and that has partially changed the team. But you know, let's go back to like that point earlier I made where I originally thought the the Heat would change and be faster in pace, but instead Lowry has kind of adjusted to what the Heat do. But like to get yeah, Cleveland, um, bigger staff, good job. I would still put Spo over him um, just because of that part. But other ones in there, Taylor Jenkins for the Memphis Grizzlies. I can't argue too hard against that. Like the the jump that the Grizzlies made has been tremendous. <sighs> I, well, if I'm going to argue, I'm going to say that the success in Memphis has more so to do with that team coming together and being a bunch of young players that develop, versus you know the ins and outs and the mix of veterans and young players and balancing all that that Spolsters had to do. And then right now, the current favorite, Monty Williams for the Phoenix Suns, which he, like, Williams, like, I cannot, I could not be mad if Monty Williams wins the award. He's done a phenomenal job with Phoenix. And now they are going to be tested because they're going to be without Chris Paul pretty much for the rest of the regular season. So if they continue to hold out well and don't spiral out of control and Williams ends up winning it, I can't get mad. If I'm being honest, it's like a 1A, 1B in, in my mind between those two. Like, I'm not going to ever get mad at anybody that says Williams, and, but personally, I'm still voting Spo. I think he is long overdue for the award, and he has done a phenomenal job of, you know, just with this team th- to this point, dealing with the adversity. And then the last one for the award part, uh, Bam Adebayo, who I think might be able to finally start making a case for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, like the, This last week since the All-Star break, especially as, since they get back from the All-Star break, especially he has just been destroying people on the defensive end. Like It almost seems like he's trying to get himself into that conversation. I'm not quite sure if he can get there, The mainly because of the games missed, like primarily December, beginning of January. I think it was 22 games, but... Draymond Green is on that list, and he's going to be missing a comparable amount of time. So that at least, you know, kind of gets Bam in the in the, the same area as another Defensive Player of the Year candidate. At this point, though, I understand why he is not being taken too seriously because of the games missed, to which I say, cool, use March to make your case. Like, you can be the dark horse that comes out of nowhere, and you'd be well-deserved for Defensive Player of the Year. So... That we'll have to see how March progresses. And as we progress into March, let's take a look at the standings before we look ahead to the first games of the month. So in the East right now, it's relative to the Heat because the Heat are first. Uh, by themselves, at 41-21, and 21, the Miami Heat. Then in the two through four spots, uh, you which are teams that are two games to four games back of where Miami is right now. So Miami does starting to get some separation. And this is before... We have our massive homestand. But in the two two to four games back where the Heat are in the two to four seed, the Bulls, the Sixers, and the Bucks, same group we usually see. Then in the five through seven range, so, you know, uh, still in the playoffs, but 
a road team to the first of the play-in. These are teams that are four and a half to six and a half games back. The Cavs, the Celtics, and the Raptors. So that's still kind of familiar as well. In the eighth spot, the at nine and a half games back, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, then in the ninth through tenth spot, eleven and a half games back over the Heat are right now. The Hornets and the Hawks. So those guys just kind of swapping to see who's going to have home court for that play-in game. So that's the standing right now. The schedule for Miami this week, they have, like I mentioned earlier, they have a road back-to-back, and then they start their seven-game homestand on Saturday. Uh, after that homestand, they have one road game, and then they have a four-game homestand, hence 11-12 uh, at home in March. Fantastic. But we start off at the Bucks on Wednesday. This is a Bucks team that's 37-25, and 25, currently fourth in the East. Miami is up right now on them 2-1 in the best of four. So this is the fourth game, which essentially means Miami wins. They have an absolute tiebreaker over the Bucks. Fantastic. Miami loses. They're still tied, and it will go to other tiebreakers, which I think after that is division leader. But we'll deal with that if we get to that point. But for the Bucks, this will be the end of a six-game homestand, so they're going to be pretty well rested after being at home for quite a while. They played the Hornets on Monday, so there's really no like rest advantage, disadvantage. But out for the Bucks will be George Hill, Silbrook Lopez, and uh, Pat Connaughton. So they'll be missing you know, some rotation players and a starter. So the defensive end for Miami really is just about defending the big three of Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and of course Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, and specifically with Giannis, where I'm curious is how Miami does the defense on him. But imagine it would probably be a lot of P.J. Tucker early on, maybe some ba- uh, Jimmy Butler as well. But then eventually you want Bam on that assignment. You know, obviously you do it later on to try to make sure Bam doesn't get into foul trouble. But I, I think I closing that game out, you're going to have Bam on Giannis. And then on the offensive end for Miami, with Brooke Lopez out, there is the temptation to go inside. And I do hope that Miami can try to take advantage of that a little bit. But really, it's attack from three. The Bucks give up the most threes to opponents in the league. And Miami's got shooters, so if the Bucks want to let Miami do that, then do a repeat of what happened, you know, game one of the season where Miami blew them out. Overall, though, just given the fact that they've been at home for a, quite a bit, I still kind of make this a 50-50 game. Like, the Bucks will clearly be motivated to not lose this tiebreaker, and they will also have their big three and, you know, home court advantage. Uh, I can still see Miami winning. I can still see the Bucks winning. That's why I say 50-50. Or to another way to phrase that, I think it's going to matter. It's going to the difference is going to be who closes better this game. After the Bucks, though, Miami has a road back to back. Well, they will be at the Brooklyn Nets on Thursday. It's a Brooklyn team that's currently thirty-two and thirty-one, has them eighth in the East. Miami's already up 2-0 in the best of four series. So it's kind of like what we saw earlier with the Bulls, where the worst case. Miami can tie them and go to other tiebreakers, but a win here puts them definitively over the Nets. And honestly, where the Nets are right now, they might not be able to catch Miami anyway, so that part might not matter. Um, but for the Nets, they'll be at the Raptors. They were at the Raptors Tuesday. They um, are recording this after the game. So there will be a rest advantage to the Nets, mainly just because you know Miami will have played Wednesday. They will have Wednesday off. So, but because this is at... The Brooklyn Nets means no Kyrie Irving, but uh, unfortunately for Nets fans, no Kyrie Irving. They, it does not look like Ben Simmons will be ready to go, nor um, Joe Harris. There is some possibility that Kevin Durant might be ready for that game, and really that 
that to me is like the X factor is whether or not Kevin Durant will make his return that game. So for the defensive end for Miami, if Durant is out, then just avoid the trap game where you underestimate the opponent and they blow you away, kind of like what R.J. Barrett was doing. But if Durant is in, then you know, obviously you throw everything you have at him, P.J. Tucker, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, whatever, however you can do to make Durant uncomfortable. Uh, on the offensive end for Miami, the Nets give up a lot of threes, and they don't force a ton of turnovers. So for Miami, it's, you know, pass the ball around the arc, get a lot of shots up, see if you can bury them with threes. If Kevin Durant um, is out, then I think it's a solid win for Miami still, just because no Kyrie Irving, and you would still have no Durant, no Simmons. Like, they'd be missing some of their best players. You should win that game. Durant is in. I think that's a 50-50 because, you know, they would have so much momentum with Durant coming back, the rest advantage, things like that. That that would scare me a little bit. So after that road back-to-back with Thursday, Miami returns to start their seven-game homestand, hosting the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, we got contender week going on. Bulls Monday, Bucks Wednesday, Nets Thursday, Sixers Saturday. The Sixers team that's currently 37-23, and 23, which has them third in the East. So they are sneaking up a little bit on Miami. And in terms of season series, these teams are tied 1-1 in a best-of-four series. So whoever wins this game on Saturday will, you know, at least be able to avoid the worst-case scenario of going down, of losing that tiebreaker. So obviously, super important for Miami to win that game, to at least avoid that situation. The good news for Miami, though, they'll have a rest advantage. The Sixers will be hosting the Cavs on Friday and then have to travel to Miami Saturday. So rest advantage to Miami. On the flip side, though, this is a Sixers team that's like completely healthy. They do not have anybody on the injury report. So for the defensive end for Miami this game, it's all about guarding um, Joel Embiid and James Harden. So in terms of Harden, my, I feel like Miami has the perimeter threats to, to – Take him out, you know, Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, especially. It's the defending Embiid part that's tricky to me, especially given his propensity for drawing fouls. I think in that case, kind of like with the Bucks, you're going to do one of those things where it's like, okay, send P.J. Tucker on him a little bit, Deadman a little bit. This would be really nice to have Morris a little bit and just try to have people soak up fouls and defensive possessions so that and maybe the second half or something, you put Bam Adebayo on Embiid and hopefully Bam doesn't foul out, because otherwise I, I feel confident that he can stymie uh, uh, Embiid. But for the offensive end for Miami, like the Sixers are a really, really stingy defense. Like This is a good team, but things that Miami could exploit, the Sixers don't force a ton of turnovers, so Miami can get their you know assist game going. And the team also gives up a, a good amount of personal fouls, so when you have people, players that are good at drawing fouls, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, maybe that's something that they could take advantage of the defense player. Overall, though, mainly because of the home advantage and the rest advantage, I still put this as a solid win for Miami. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I feel pretty confident that they can pull out this win. And then the last one to finish up this week, the Heat will be hosting the Houston Rockets on Monday. This is a Rockets team that they're bad. 15 and 45. 15th in the West, like the worst team in the West, one of the worst in the league. Um, the Heat are up 1-0 in a best of two, for whatever that matters. The Rockets will have hosted the Grizzlies on Sunday before having to go to Miami, so they'll also be on the second out of a back-to-back. Um, John Wall will be out for them, but he's been out all year. 
for the defensive end for Miami, uh, I'm, I'm kind of just going to blow through this because, you know, the, I, you should already know. This, is gonna, this should be an easy win for Miami. There's no reason they should lose this game. Defensive end for Miami, though, just avoid the trap game. Make sure you shut everybody down. It shouldn't be too hard. And then the offensive end for Miami, you can pretty much do whatever you want. This is a terrible defensive team. They're the last in opponent points per game. So this should be a blowout, easy win for Miami. If it's not a blowout, but at least a win, whatever. But it should be an easy win. So overall, I if I were to, I guess, predict next week, I would imagine that we would drop at least one of those games to uh, Bucks net Sixers. So I and I like there's no excuse for the Rockets one. That that should be a win. So it should be like a three one week for Miami. Hopefully the kind of thing that can start to put you know the general. Uh, NBA on notice because I do feel the heater kind of going a little bit under the radar, but that's fine. That's cool. That it's understandable given how we kind of got swept last year that teams might not take it seriously, but we'll put them on notice. But this will be all for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow the pod on Twitter at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Nation. Also check out the other great pods we have for the OTG Podcast Network at OTG Basketball. I'll be back next week. Until then, stay heating and have a good one, Heat Nation.